Hello and welcome to the Celestial Podcast, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Joey Morgan. Today I'm here with Brian Corgan, a.k.a. Briarheart02. I did the dishes! And <laughs> I was here with Dylan, a.k.a. Lord Slar. Hello, Super Who Lock fanboys. Uh, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, and, uh, and Jacob Lickmeyer, I guess. <laughs> I don't think I can top that insanity. Alright, fair enough. All right, so today on the Celestial Podcast, we are discussing classic Doctor Who season five, that being two of the Cybermen through the wheel in space. Uh, spoilers as always, let's jump right into this with the two of the Cybermen, and I don't have this prepared. Who's it written by? Kit Peddler and Gary Dave, Jerry Davis. Thank you. Kit Peddler and Jerry Davis. Who would like to begin? Oh, fuck. I need to pull up a document for the uh, ranking. <laughs> God damn it, nobody's ready. <laughs> <laughs> no. I forgot about that part. You know, I'll begin. I'll, I'll, do I'll do go it. I'll do it. Go ahead. Go ahead then, so this is kind of the first Doctor Who does the Universal Monster movie story type thing. Um, that would become big in the Hinchcliffe era. Like, also doing Face Under Siege. Like, this is Doctor Who does the mummy. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I never, like, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. I mean, really, it's a religious piece about the hero and the godly figure that is Toberman. Oh, oh no! Oh no! Um, do we do we do we want to open that? You know, can okay, you know, yeah. Let's let, let's fuck it. Let's talk about. He Tober. saves the day. He saves let's the talk, day. Let, let's fuck it. Let's talk about Toberman. Not even two minutes in. Let's fucking talk about Toberman. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Toberman. Uh, is he racist? <laughs> uh, I mm, I don't think so. I don't think he is either. Like, like I, I don't think he's intentionally so. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely like an undertone there, like you know he's he's treated as the slave, so to yeah. speak, for lack yeah. of a better phrase. But beyond that, I mean, like he's a good character, you know. He's he I, 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 I wish I they would have added in a line about him being deaf, like he apparently is in the novelization. Yeah, I think maybe and, is that was that the intention? The, uh, yeah, the intention was he was it's deaf. And... It's written by Jerry Davis, though, is the thing. The novel, so you'd have to say that that is the intention yeah. of the script, which would kind of maybe. Well, point James the would have been going off of his original racist. scripts, wouldn't he? Because it was written... wait, he, he's he's what? Death. Death. Yeah. D e a f. Death. Hard of hearing. <laughs> Apparently, Joey oh oh, right death. Now. A death. I thought you meant. I thought you were saying death as in d e a t h. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Never... he's death's champion. <laughs> Because <laughs> you guys have been saying fucking he's dead this entire time. Like, is there a secret layer to Toberman I don't know about? Just imagine that, you know, we're listening to Master and all of a sudden it's Toberman that shows up instead of, you know, death. Repeating death Time of Revelation, the doctor dances with the Toberman on the moon. <laughs> it's a shame oh, that Toberman Jesus. will never get to. Enjoy big finish. <laughs> Bring him oh. back, big finish. So, but that would explain why he doesn't really talk very much in a, and kind of makes weird noises sometimes in a less racist way. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but beyond that, the episode is just really fun. I love Tomb of the Cybermen. I think it's, it's... it's more than fun. It's there's a reason it was. It, th that it was supposed to be the first VHS release of the show. 
Instead, they got fucking Revenge of the Cybermen. <laughs> Wait, did they just... Were they actually going to do two of the Cybermen? Like, oh, dude, we lost it. <laughs> um, but well, what happened is, is fans voted on what they wanted to see for the first episode on VHS. Serious? Like, and they chose yeah. fucking Revenge of the <laughs> No, they chose Tomb. They chose Tomb. Not oh. realizing... Not, not knowing that Tomb... Was in Hong, okay. It was in Hong Kong somewhere. Gotcha. Come on, BBC. Um, this is this is cool. You know one thing I never. This is what you wanted, right? <laughs> one thing I never get. Simon. One thing I never get about criticism of Tomb is people always saying like it was better when it was lost, and when you can actually see it, it's a it's a massive letdown. I never got that. I think that might be because we none of us existed during the time when it was lost. It didn't have the same kind of legendary hype around it. Yeah. It still had hype, but not the same kind but, of like. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I have that kind of hype, but I, I guess it's not like in a video that's no longer up on my channel. Um, how, yeah, I, I think it's sort of the mythology because even when it was just audio, but I don't know if Loose Cannon ever did one. I don't think they were around while it was lost. Well, when it was just like an audio cassette, it was Here's really thing, rare. It was never even an audio cassette. The audio set only came was only re- was being recorded when they found Tomb, and they oh, only serious? released it because of there was a contract with Pertwee and it had to be retrieved. Uh, retru- yes, so basically, I suppose everybody everybody would have only read the novel, huh? And let's be honest, r- reading a Target novel is is entirely different from yeah. watching the actual. Yeah, I, yeah. I read the Sunmakers before I watched the Sunmakers and I have to say the Target novel is brilliant and the episode just it <laughs> I, does not live up I, to I, it. I remember asshole. how much you adored the Sunmakers because like you just loved the novel so much. <laughs> it's a really good novel. Like the, all of the ideas of the Sunmakers are great, but that, just that's the execution a, that's a, that's is terrible. That's a Terrence Dix novel, right? Well, yeah. The the novel that made me love Colony in Space, actually, because I initially hated that, was the Doomsday Weapon. The Doomsday Weapon is fantastic. I mean, so basically I like what we're saying Colony is that, like, is, is... Oh, Colony in Space is still good. Um, but what we're getting is that, like, yeah, I guess I guess the novel and the atmosphere, just, just experiencing the story on paper, sort of mythologized Tomb of the Cybermen, when really it's just this pulpy little camp story it's got some nice atmosphere to it i love the scenes in the tombs i love early on when they're trying to break into the tombs it's I got love... so many iconic moments and great moments as well that's what it specializes oh. in just great moments oh yeah uh, the, the, that speech between the doctor and victoria is we've oh yeah we've even talked beautiful. about pat who is just like in top On form fire. i love i love Patrick he, Trout. he's finally settled into the role not that he wasn't good in season four because he was great but i feel two of the salmons where like he's definitely in the role now He's he also knows what he's doing. He's being it also massively person. helps that this is the first fully surviving Troughton story, so you fully get to see like one of his performances all the way through, and uh, and you get to really appreciate him as an actor. Uh, I think. He's a bit of a manipulative dick in this one too. Well, I mean, not, mani- not manipulative, but like, yeah, I mean, eh, I guess well, I get one, of, one of the one of the things he does in this one. Um, is you know in the beginning he's all about not going into the tomb, and then he fucking helps. What's his face? Klieg, open it up. Oh, the way you said Klieg made it sound like a Klieg. Oh, got the Klieg from this woman last night. Oh, I do love Eric Klieg though as a character. Oh yeah, Klieg, Klieg is top notch. I love him. Eric Klieg, master of the world. Eric, 
I also love um I love uh, uh back on Trouton for a moment. Uh Trouton specifically with Heinz in this. They have a lot of really great moments together. Um also I guess immensely helped by the story being surviving now, um, that we can actually fully see them work together. Uh, you know, prime example, the famous scene at the very beginning, uh when they're walking into the tombs and they're and they're trying to yeah, they're getting Victoria inside there and they they accidentally hold hands with each other instead of grabbing trying to Victoria. Hold Victoria's hand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Can we can we appreciate all of the great side characters in this though? Because oh, it has just such a great guest cast, uh, all of them written well. And and it's another one of those stories with that nervous guy. Cyril Shaps. <laughs> yeah, Cyril yeah, it's Shaps. another one who's just born to play nervous characters. Yes. Anxiety incarnate. <laughs> yes. I love that guy. Every time I see him, I'm like, it's just that guy. Because <laughs> yeah, he's in Ambassadors, he's in Planet of the Spiders... And That's Android right, he Tara. is the Planet of the Spiders, yep. But he's, he's not very nervous, nervous in Android Tara. He's Oh, he's great in Android Tara. He, he's arguably more nervous in Planet of the Spiders than he is here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, he gets, he gets, like, really screaming towards the end of his yeah. character's stuff. Um, back on supporting characters, though, I mean, like, as a whole, I... I it, this is one of the few classic Who stories that I could remember every single supporting character in, and not just because I've seen it like a million times, but I have. Um, but because, but because it is so well written, and because I think the confined space helps that a all lot. Right, Joey, you remember all the characters, right? Yes. What's the name of the young American boys who? I don't remember the fucking the names, but I remember the characters, <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> and that's what counts. Fuck off, Captain Hopper um, is Captain the American. Popper. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the other Americans. There were oh, other ones... Americans? Yeah, the ones early on that get fucked. Oh, right. The ones that end up dead. Yeah, yeah the ones who die straight away. In like the first five minutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but also, one thing I want to talk about is I love uh, the music in this. And it's stock music, isn't it? All of it? Yes. All of it's stock music. And it's so perfect. Perfectly space atmospheric. Space Adventure stock music? Yes, yeah. Space Adventure stock oh, music. Oh, yeah. I yep. didn't know that. Yeah, that is stock music. Love it. And, and I guess, obviously, you know, it's the most associated with uh, with Doctor Who now. But that, I love that. Um, just use stock music so brilliantly. Like, they always seem to find love just the, the right track. I love the piece they use at the very beginning when they're going through the mountains. Um, you know, that really creepy atmospheric piece. Yeah. Love that. Such a, great, uh, such a great piece. See, I know what piece you're talking about, but a different piece entirely popped into my head. <laughs> Which yeah, one? Yeah, my favorite bit is the bit my... where, like, the kind of it's do 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 yeah yeah that that right. But when yeah. he said that, for some reason, the cliffhanger music from the invasion of time popped into my head instead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great piece too. Love that piece. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, love the Cyberman costumes in this. Um, and like. <laughs> I just Controversial like... opinion, I don't mind the cyber controller head. <laughs> I mean, he is a big dildo, but let's just yeah. face it. I mean, that just makes I mean, it has veins. The, cliff, it has the cliffhangers veins. in this story are fucking great, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, two, part two cliffhanger got to be one of the best and most iconic in the whole show. Oh, yeah. Every, well, I mean, the every first time, time, every time I, mean, I see to, that to, one, to, it to chills to up my spine. <laughs> to be fair, the first time I watched the part two cliffhanger, I had no fucking clue what the controller was saying. <laughs> I just it manages to sum up what the Cybermen are about and why they're scary in literally six words. Oh, oh yeah, eight words. You belong, you belong to about... us. You shall be like us. 
Nine can minutes. we talk about how the, the story Nine portrays minutes. the Cybermen for a second? Because, like, the way it's done here is really fucking good. They're sort of portrayed as, like, really gross abominations. Yeah. It's like, it's like re- they're really creepy in this one, and I love it. And I think what what it does is it emphasizes just the absurdity of their desire to survive. Because it's like, just survival at any cost, at just ridiculous extent, to the point where they're not really living a life anymore. They're living a life where they just have to, like, constantly freeze themselves and only come out occasionally to try and, like, salvage more body parts and harvest more people. And it's like, what kind of life is this? Is Like, why is this worth it? You, This is why the Cybermen are, you know, scary and why they're... Why they're a product of human nature, which is what makes them scary. Well, something... and I just sort of, I love just the implication that they're just still waiting there. Um, mm-hmm. Oh the yeah, end. yeah, because because like they don't technically solve the problem. They, you know, they just lock them back inside there. They're definitely. Sure the still there. has some TNT in the TARDIS as well, so he's just being Do... a bit cheeky. There's really. a. <laughs> There's another scene I really like in this one, and it's really gory. Actually, now that I think about it, it's oh, the scene where. Us. The cyberpus. I don't know why that scene just like really fucking irks me. Oh, it's beautiful. And uh, did you know that the director got in trouble with the BBC for it? Really? Really? Yeah. Huh. Was it all that... the child, all, all his children loved it, so he said he, he didn't really care. <laughs> That's yeah, it's just so fucking gross, dude. Well, because this like... this was let's, let's actually let's talk about the direction. <laughs> this was by one of Morris Berry's <laughs> three stories that he directed, right? Who was coronavirus? Me. <laughs> yeah, no, Morris Barry is a brilliant director. I mean, he manages to make, you know, a story like The Dominator is visually interesting. So, oh, yeah. Which is quite an achievement. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those, yeah, dr- they, one of those directors that's really able to play with, play with just the look of black and white television. I think he's one of those directors as well who's very good at, like, getting the best out of actors because he gets the best out of Troughton in the moon base and here. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, the reason it like they talk about um, him as a director in the documentaries, and they talk about how basically he you know, got Trump to cut out doing all of the silly stuff and just get him focused on being the doctor, and it, it really works. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's brilliant. So, um, anything else to add on the two of the Cybermen? I'm sure this is a story we could go on for for hours and go on about for hours, but like you know, obviously, time restraints, and we have six other stories um, to get through. Actually, can we talk about Victoria for just? Just because, just oh, yeah, absolutely. People, people always say Victoria's the oh, example. I don't know what joke is coming later on, too. God damn it. <laughs> Brian, fuck I'm off. so sick of it. Hey, but Brian, I, I was too tired to it. make that joke. Now you, know, you just reminded no, no, me. You know, Brian, Brian, you know, you do it to yourself now because none of us were going to fucking bring it up. And now that you said it, we're going to bring it up. Jacob well, says it, it every time, regardless of whether or not oh, I say anything. I'm going to be very careful when I bring it up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be brought up at a very important time. At the right moment. So, 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 Jacob, just just to be clear, you want to talk about Victoria uh, as played by one Deborah Watling? Yes, yes, Deborah okay. Watling. Well, just, just, just to I, be sure. <laughs> well, just how this story is is like is is the one that sort of shows she really isn't just the screaming sixties com- classical companion that people seem to think she is. Like, oh, definitely, definitely. I've always seen a lot more in Victoria. I guess because of the story, because this was the first story I'd ever seen with her. Um, and yeah, I think she's. Thought. The producer of The Screaming Companion is such a reductive thing. And honestly, it shows a profound level of disrespect for the writing and Deborah Watling. 
because you actually watch the episodes, especially if you watch them in order, you see there is actually a character and a character arc that goes on about the fact that she doesn't actually enjoy traveling. Yeah. Also, and she tries like, her best, but like, she, like this, this story opens. The opening shot of this story is them on Scaro. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's and what it's them it is. walking into the TARDIS, and Victoria is very unsure of herself. Um, Which I mean, she's just lost her dad. Yeah, um, and, 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 that, and that feeling continues throughout this whole story. Like Victoria doesn't feel like she belongs, and eventually throughout the season, she she sort of settles into traveling. <laughs> eventually, decides it's far too much for her, and you know, discuss the exit later, of course. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I I adore Victoria's character arc. But yeah, yeah, that's 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 all I wanted to bring up. All right, so let's do ratings out of 10 for the two of the Cybermen. I'm going to start with a very confident, actually, 10 out of 10. Uh, Dylan? 10 out of 10, boy. Lovely. Jacob? Uh, nine. Nine out Fuck of 10. Fuck off. Brian? Sorry. Sorry. I'm going with Jacob on this God, one. Well, what a cook, Jacob. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nine out of 10 from me. You know, I'm kind of glad Jacob didn't say a ten now because then Brian once again would once again would have been that cunt that you know we all give a unanimous score and he's like, hey, but it's not that good. I so mean, my that's gonna happen for my... the next story, I think, because Brian hates the next story. So my I, subjective hmm. score is ten out of ten, but my objective score is two out of ten. No, no, we're not doing this. Uh, all right, so we're gonna move on to the Abominable Snowman by Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln. Who would like to begin? I fucking hate it. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Go, go the fuck off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just boring. Like a story can be bad for me. That's totally cool. There's still at least some entertainment in it, but the main sin with this one is it bores the fuck out of me. It is. It. The first time I watched it, it made me go on like. Uh, I, I don't want to watch Doctor Who anymore for like a, a a few months at least. I didn't want anything to do with it. Did Did you do it all in one sitting? Yes. See, I did it all in one, one sitting too, and like I still enjoyed it. I do agree that it's a bit long. It It, it just it does it does kind of drag, but I feel like that that is just that may just be missing episode syndrome. You know, like if if we if we had visuals, no, because I can sli- sit down and more watch something by. like Dalek's Master Clan in one sitting and be like, wow, five hours have passed? Whoa, that's pretty cool. But this is this just makes me want to kill myself. I mean, it's, it's, oh, I can't stand I mean, it. It's not like it's a very visual heavy story. So it's not like it, it doesn't lose as much as some of the stories that we even do enjoy as reconstructions. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I don't know. I th- yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and defend it because it's you know it's. I mean, it's a, really a common story. I mean, criticism of classic Who is that oh nothing happens in it, which I think is mostly untrue. But if it was true for any story, it's true for this one because what actually happens and what nothing! is actually and after like everything's established, like all the things that are going on in this place in episode one. What actually changes throughout? Like the only thing is like the mystery of who is the weird voice, and that's about it. And even then, like it's not actually, fully resolved because they this. they purposely wrote this one to to sort of have sequel potential. Yeah. So like you know, you'd be, it's not fully resolved, which is so weird because the following story, you know, the uh, the sequel to this story, like could not be. Uh, more of an opposite to this one. It's so weird. That it's chock such... full of events and drama and intrigue, whereas this has none of those. 
Another another big complaint I have is how ridiculously out of character Victoria is. How so? Well, look, I mean, the best example is look at that scene where she's, like, demanding to go in this room and, like, tricking people into letting her in this room. And it's like, you know, the whole point is that she is a bit nervous and unsure of herself. It's like she wouldn't be doing those kind of... It shouldn't be doing reckless things like this. Hmm. It's completely out of character. I I see where you're coming from. I never put too much thought into that, I guess. And also, Uh, I find it very annoying as well. Like, the way she acts in those scenes. It's quite annoying. Mainly just because it is out of character. It's just like, uh, Victoria is the opposite of a reckless person. What's that that guy's name? The Padma-Sampala or something like that? What is it? Uh, Padma-Sampala. Padma-Sampala. Of course, Jake, because actually, it's pronounced Actually, I have in my official Doctor Who pronunciation book that it's called <laughs> Asmar Sambavar. Yeah, that guy. That guy. The makeup on him is pretty fucking creepy. I like how he sort of decays throughout the entire story. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that. pretty, that's pretty lit. But the rest of it can burn in a fire. This is one I don't even need back. Like, it can stay lost. I don't care. Well, I would like to see it, because I, I think it might be more enjoyable as well. I want to see the Yeti in motion. That, that's what I want to see in return. Yeah, so. I think... See, here's the thing. I mean, I think part of the problem is, is Web of Fear is so good. And this isn't nearly as good as Web of Fear. But I think, see, if anything, see, see, I, I, I did, I did watch this is more damning, before. because Web of Fear then, like, it's not, was, it's not was great as Reconstruction. It's it's not a direct comparison though, Jacob, because like I I watched this before I watched Web of Fear, and I still thought it was pretty boring. So, I watched the Web of Fear reconstruction before it was found, and that was great. I enjoyed every minute of it, and then I've never enjoyed this story. I mean, it's not terrible for what it's worth, but it's just not really enjoyable. Hmm. See, I mean, I mean, I I think there are some missteps where they should be playing up the horror element of the isolated monastery up a mountain. There's no, uh, there's not even an attempt to do any horror in this story. Which, and again, I think, is... I think that, yeah, that is the biggest missed opportunity because you have the potential for a really creepy atmosphere where we've landed, and it's there's just zero kind of atmosphere. Basic so yeah, the I wonder atmosphere how much of that is comes down to directorial choices. Like, even though we don't see directorial choices as much, would you have to? Yeah, but like we also again, the director would would usually place where the music would go. Yeah. Um, there's no music either, obviously in... really doesn't help. well because the guy that directed this also directed the invasion of time oh god huh really he... direct because directing that, isn't that all explains about the a lot visuals. actually that he directed i was, I was about to say the same thing it's yeah. like about sound design as well it's like because the sound design in like web theory when i watched it bled through and so you still got the atmosphere and you do in many other episodes like power of the daleks but there's just none here it's just completely flat and i don't think having the visuals would really change it that much it'd make it slightly more enjoyable just because we wouldn't be getting sensory deprivation but it still wouldn't be <laughs> closely in a good episode and it would still be very flat i also think this is one where the novelization is better i've never um, read the novelization you know you know what the damn shame no to with this story to read the novelization the one surviving episode of the abominable snowman isn't even that entertaining like, not even, like, Trouton or Hines could really bring it to life for me. I'm just like, eh, it's okay. Oh, it's interesting fine. Interesting fact about this story. It's the only one that actually has a couple seconds of missing audio. Yeah, uh, and they actually had to do some 
editing magic to kind of fix it. Yeah. Well, that was, that, was, that was, and that was, I think that wasn't even like a, it got lost. That was a, the audio wasn't picked up by the microphones and something went wrong in like the actual. Yeah, it was transmitted. Like also, that. it was, it was the production. It wasn't like missing, it wasn't anything to do with missing episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, wow. Broadcast were just a few seconds missing, but the, um, they used like sounds from different parts of the Troughton era to piece it back together in the Lost in Time release. Huh. Weird. It, like what? Like cuts off the the word Victoria. I think doesn't doesn't it actually happen in the episode that we have? Yes, it's in the episode that exists. Yeah, that's oh, that's even weirder. So it's just like somebody was really sloppy in the production, <laughs> the post production. Well, that makes a lot of sense because that is uh, true for most of the story. <laughs> is is there, is there uh, anything else to add on oh, the abominable? Oh, snowmen. Not that I would be surprised if there wasn't. It's fucking terrible. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just kind of meh. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are worse stories. Like, this is... It's, enjoy, it's, it's enjoyable. I enjoy it. It's, it's not anything special. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so I guess uh, ratings out of 10 for The Abominable Snowmen. Brian? <laughs> it's gonna be really low. Really low. Go, I'm just warning go, you. Just it's, go a ahead. Two, it's a two from me. Fucking two, serious. Oh, come on, I'm more generous. I'll give it a four, Dylan. So my subjective score is four out of ten. But my <laughs> objective <laughs> score is ten out of ten because it's clearly art. See, I didn't even mention that one. <laughs> I didn't mention that joke, and it happened. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's not the joke that we're talking about, Brian. That I was talking I'll about. Stop earlier, like, I'll stop now. I'll stop now. We already overdid it in Peter Marinus. So, so, uh, so, Jacob, what's your rating out of ten? Seven. Se- Jesus. I like this. Story. Wait, what? Jacob, I, it's 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 time you and I had a friendly little chat with my fist. Got <laughs> <laughs> the Chad Brian versus the Virgin. <laughs> Bro, I, I find it hilarious that Brian's trying to intimidate me, but then I remember he's a literal child. <laughs> How tall are you, Jacob? I'm, I'm probably shorter than you because of reasons yeah. that I don't... I'm 6'4". Right, and break it, up, break it up, cunts. We're moving on to The Ice Warriors by Brian Hales. Who would like to begin? I started the last one, so it's someone else's. Dylan started the other one. Or no, Jacob started the other one. So Dylan, would you like to start the Ice Warriors? I mean, I don't really have too much to say, to be perfectly honest. It's just a fairly functional story. Um, Not got too much about it. I mean, it's got a great atmosphere. The Ice Warriors are cool villains. Maybe not a whole lot happens throughout the story. And uh, it does get maybe a tad repetitive in parts, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's, It's just solid, functional, decent TV. But you're not really going to be remembering it for years to come. So That's fair. That's fair. I, I enjoy it. I definitely enjoy it. It's it's a really fun watch. Can um, we talk about the weird, like, the weird title sequence they do for this one? Oh, I no, love I, love, I love that. Oh, I love that. Really, that's probably my favorite thing about the episode, honestly. But, like, it feels so out of place because, like, it feels like it's trying to set up a horror story. Mm, and the Ice Warriors is not really. I don't know. Story. Well, because it's all then, scary. Yeah, exactly. I think the Ice Warriors are built up as a horror story in part one, and then like, and then even then, the intro is still 
is, is still that title sequence that you're talking about is still yeah, pretty very intimidating. For the rest of the story. Yeah, like yeah. The, I, this, the ice warriors are at their scariest in this story, and they are very intimidating. Especially I'm watching I'd, this I'd, as a I'd child, I did this, I did find it a bit like. Um, Either this or Seeds of Death are the most intimidating. But, I mean, it, I think it's maybe the, the atmosphere and the music here that maybe makes it a bit scarier here than the Orange Seeds of Death, even though I think Seeds of oh, Death is a better yeah, story. Definitely. Especially, like, um, just the bit where Chirok's chasing uh, Victoria in the ice caverns, and it's just got the do-do-do-do-do-do-do. See, I have, a, I have a massive boner for the Ice Warriors, to the point where I think they might have just become my favourite Doctor Who monster. And... I'm with Joey. I think it's Seeds of Death is easily their scariest appearance. But even, but even that, I have to agree with Dylan that like just the direction by Derek Martinus and um and just the way they're presented in the script is is extremely threatening. Um, oh yeah, definitely. And, I, and, I, like, and I it's much it. more of a struggle to kill an ice warrior in this story. They seem a lot more imposing. Oh yeah, and um, one one of the things I love about the portrayal of the Ice Warriors in this is the intrigue in part one when they're first found in the ice. Like, I love that build up. I I, I adore the atmosphere there. Um, every great since... Doctor Who story, well, not every great Doctor, but most great Doctor Who stories start with kind of something weird being on Earth, and it's like, what on Earth is this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So well, even the, even then, like all all the best like Doctor Who monster runarounds, in my opinion, like save that monster for the entire first episode. I like this, yeah. the Daleks, I like uh, Tomb of the Cybermen. I, I I like all of them. They 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 build it up so perfectly. I love the atmosphere there. Uh, my only real main criticism of the story is it falls into that base under siege, unfortunately, uh, common trope of a lot of the supporting characters just sort of falling to the back of my mind. I don't remember a ton yeah. of them. Yeah, I mean, the thing, look at Ice Warriors and Fury from the Deep. A lot of the characters seem almost identical to each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, it's this, this one definitely feels very, yeah, it's very similar to Fury from the Deep. Um, Similar to a lot of Basin Siege stories, but man, I just I cannot I can barely remember a single supporting character. In this I do thing. like I do like Penley played by the guy who plays Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. Wait, which one's he? Uh, you know the the kind of disgruntled one who this disgruntled scientist who leaves the station Is and lives the up on the hills. Is with he Scott the one? The one with yeah, the beard? yeah. That, that's Wallace. Yeah, Wallace and Gromit. Peter Sellers. Huh. Is it really? Yeah. Damn. Oh shit. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I fucking love that. I fucking love that even more. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, uh, the, oh, the Scottish guy's good as well. It's just the people inside the base maybe uh, fall a bit too much into the tr- base under siege tropes. So, like the kind of frustrated professional who's like trying to lead a regular operation. He's never had a problem before and now he's got a problem. And then the kind of, you know more kind of conforming elements of the team, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah, um, no. I, I definitely <laughs> enjoy this one. Myself. You know what Ice Warriors are really like in this story, uh, aesthetically? I love the ones with the gigantic fucking heads. And the, and really? The I think they look silly. I adore those Ice Warriors. I think, yeah. I, for some reason, I, I love those. They have camp there's, charm, there's a... but I don't think they're... I, I, the one thing I like about the Seeds of Death is the fact that it uses only the good Ice Warrior costume. Ice Warrior and then it introduces like the Ice Lords. Yeah, I, I get that. I don't know. I, just, I, I love the gigantic heads in this one. There's a big head Ice wait, Warrior which, which, in one which, of the... Which Peladon story do they come back in? I think, are they in uh, monster. Is it no, it's monster. monster. Is it Monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're in both. Because in Monsters, they're like... I, I don't like how they look in that. 
there's some they've done something to how they give a fresh paint job in that one. It might be the new paint job. I don't know. There's just yeah, they, are all, they are all like one shade of green there. Like there's no variation there. Yeah. Um. But let's see. Oh yeah. Also, I probably should have brought this up during Abominable Snowman. But I figure I'd give a compliment to uh, uh to the costuming in a much better story. Uh, the the fur coat on Troughton. I just really like that look. Oh, it's brilliant. Love, love the fur coat. Oh yeah, the ice warriors in this one, like other, you know, aside from the big head ones, like the costuming for them has been really well done in this. Oh this yeah, one. I mean, like the, we haven't even talked about how good the ice warrior costumes. Are. I, I think part of what makes them such a great villain and such a memorable villain is just how good the costumes are does, and just how well they're shot in this story. Despite you know me preferring Seeds of Death to this one, the costumes in Seeds of Death are like really underwhelming compared to the ones in this. Really I, love, I love the Ice Lord costume. The Ice Lord is, costume. Is, is, isn't it interesting that like that the the Doctor Who monsters that have most been known for literally being the green men from Mars are first appear in two black and white stories? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what else? Oh yeah, also cliffhangers. I want to talk about cliffhangers because I love the cliffhangers in this story. Um, that part one cliffhanger, I just adore. Also... Yeah, so- after, oh, like, Jamie's telling Victoria that I was like, oh, you should wear a skirt, short skirt, <laughs> Victoria. And then, like, you got Varga coming out ready to cock-block this party. Actually, <laughs> Dylan, Joey, Jacob, have you noticed that in the first part of the Ice Warriors, yes, the Ice, Ice Warrior War costume changes? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's got the big head in part one, right? And then it changes. I don't even think it's a big head. I think it's its own unique thing. It's more akin no, 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 to... Like... No, no, One of them has the big head and the other one doesn't. I can't remember which. Va- Varga doesn't have a big head. Chirok does. So Varga oh. must have the big head in part one. Because I know the costume no, does The first oh, um, one that's found... Not in the cliffhanger, but in the... Yeah, in the ice, it's got... Yeah, through, yeah through, throughout the rest of the episode, like when he's laying there early on. Yeah, he, he has the big head early on. Um, I was a bit of production mistake. I don't think it's even... Even I didn't care. <laughs> Here's the thing, it's not even a big head, it's slightly different from that, that's the thing. It's more akin to, like, what would become the Ice Lord helmet. It's Maybe weird. they also... had a different prop um, in the ice, rather than, like, like so they just made, like, a different kind of thing to put in the ice, and then just had the regular costume when it was unfrozen, just to, you know, save, trying to encase a costume inside something weird. Also, how do we feel about the animation in parts two and three? It's awful. It's the, the worst, worst animation one. they've done. It's the worst one. I don't know. I think it, it's it looks it's style choice. Philip Morris's animation of Mission to the Unknown was a better animation, and that was just done I don't by know. I, know, I think I think people. I think at, I think at the very least this is a, this is better than the Invasion animation. Not Philip Morris, no. sorry, Ian Levine. No, I hate the Invasion animation. Really? I, I love the Invasion animation. No, I think no, it's no. pretty good. Actually. I think it's the best. this is at least better than that because it does, uh, I love the Ice Warrior model. Wait a minute. Dylan, did you just say the Invasion animation is the best? No, one of the best. Oh, okay. I, I, just love, I love how they attempt like just a real fluid animation rather than going for more kind of, you know, computer kind of sprites kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it, 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 like the other ones go with a small sprite-based animation, whereas that one goes in like just actual you proper must animation. Say it every time. The best animation is the moon base. It is. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Still the best. And I don't think it'll ever be beat if they keep going in the flash animation direction that, that they are going. Yeah, I mean the moon base would be too expensive to make on a regular basis. Yeah. 
But anyway, I guess that about does it for the Ice Warriors. Let's give ratings at a 10. Jacob. I give it an 8. 8. Brian. 7. I agree. I give it a 7. Dylan? Uh, an objective 7 out of 10. Fuck off. <laughs> okay, I promise I'll stop now. You're not going to stop. I know you're not. <laughs> Alright, um, let's move on to The Enemy of the World by David Whitaker. Who would I like love this one. Go ahead, Brian. It's it's my favorite of the season. Really? Yes, I love this one too. You know, you know, I don't blame you. I don't blame you for that, actually. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's so exciting. Patrick Troughton in the double role is just you know, and like, I don't know. It's just really, really fucking fun. And I, I, I just enjoy it every time. It's like, you know how John Pertwee's era was supposed to be Doctor Who does James Bond? This is literally that. And it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, obviously, let's start off with uh, talking about uh, Troughton's double role in this as uh, the Doctor and Ramon Salamander. Uh, he does an excellent job in this, I think. He, what um, an amazingly really ca- versatile actor. Oh, yeah, he's, he's so utterly talented. Uh, I love Salamander in particular because he not only changes, you know, he he can put in a funny accent and, and you know and change his costume, but like his his entire mannerism changes when he when he's playing Salamander. Why, uh, hello, Bruce. What are you doing he, here, huh? And he puts so much thought into it that like Trouton even like when when the Doctor is impersonating Salamander, Trouton even plays the Doctor as like not having the same mannerisms as Salamander, but still in the costume and doing the voice. It, yeah, it, I mean, just, I think it just shows the, the how great dude. of a physical actor Troughton is, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. It's like he just took care with, like, what he was trying to, uh, to, 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 just to, just to portray with this script, and he's, he's clearly having so much fun with it, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, um. Dude, that uh, fight in the TARDIS at the end is, like, one of the most exciting things from the 60s show, I think. It's so fucking cool. Oh, definitely, and also just, like. Just the very existence of that well, shot you, with the two trucks sh- looking at it each other. It ends a bit abruptly, though, the story. I think well, I he's think right because, into Web of Fear. I think, I think, that's well, I think because... What well, ends a bit abruptly, yeah, but also I think because... I think for any director, no matter how talented you are, let alone the great Barry Letts, um, it's very difficult to film a scene like that in 1967. Like, it's yeah. just... I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't imagine it being done any other way because Let's did such a great job with it. Yeah, Barry Letts is such a slick director in this. And like the entire story builds up to that moment too. Like you're waiting for it to happen, and then it happens. It's just, I love it. And and let alone like the uh, because you brought up the build up to it. I love especially the um uh the trick like like how how Salamander sneaks into uh, sneaks into the TARDIS at first. Like it's such a good, such a good moment of build up. I thought um, I would return the favor. <laughs> he just sort of does it like quiet. He's playing it quietly. Like it, it's, it's, it's. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work if there was any dialogue. I don't think. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, like, what, what would they say to each other? Because they don't know each other personally. It's not some big rivalry. It's cool for the audience because Patrick Troughton versus versus Patrick Troughton, but the characters don't have any personal connection i mean the doctors just spent the whole episode trying to be convinced they need to do something about this guy yeah 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 because he because he is literally just thrown into the situation like you know he doesn't he doesn't really care about it he's just he's just being forced to interfere with human affairs uh, well and there's this whole morality play aspect like 
the doctor says early on which side is good, which side is bad. And both sides are kind of... It, it's It's one of the few stories that, like, makes humanity be humanity that, like, no one's truly really good or completely good or completely evil. Like, both sides have good and bad on them. Like... If, yeah, if it really does sense. get into the grubby world of politics. And even though, obviously, like, the kind of world it portrays is very, you know, maybe slightly unrealistic in part, but just, you can, it's a very believable world, just in the sense of, you know, how venal and corrupt and full of, like, you know, the, you know, the, you know what the actual worst thing about Series 11 was? It was that Christian didn't take the opportunity of it airing in 2018 to have Ramon Salamander in it. The disappointment. Um, t- another thing that I love about this story, and this is the hallmark of pretty much every David Whittaker script, is just how good all of the side characters are and how good their dialogue Ooh, is. Yes. Wait, look, you've got so you've got Bruce, you've Bruce got Bruce can um, have my children. You've got Faria, you've got um oh what's her name? The woman, the other woman. Faria? Yeah. No, no, I've already had Faria. Um but yeah, you know you Astrid? know how I mean. Astrid, that's the one. Uh, you've got Griffin the chef, who's only in it for a few scenes, but somehow is just full of character. You've got the leader of the Central European Zone. You've got the guy that um, Salamander tries to bribe. You've got uh, the Giles Kent. Uh, you, and there's probably more I'm missing. Oh, yeah, the, the guy played by Milton jo- Milton John, I think his name is. I've forgotten what his character is. I think he's like such a slime ball. You know what's yeah, really interesting about this, as as far as, like, it being a David Whitaker script, is he writes it almost as if he was writing a historical, like the Crusade. He puts the same amount of, of, of like care and attention to the characters and detail into it that he would as if he were writing a historical, but he said it in the future. It's, it's That's really interesting. That's what makes it so fun. It's because the world oh, building yeah. so good in this one. And it, oh, and, it, yeah, yeah. and it makes sure I'll give the characters as much care, uh, like so much care and attention. to Because oh. obviously in a story like this, you have to be invested in the characters, really. It wouldn't work if there wasn't so many fun characters everywhere. And I have it a does question that perfectly. Did any of you watch this before it was found? I did not. I listened to it before it was found. I've, I've, from, okay, so Jacob, basically what I've heard is before it was found, it was not good. People did not like it. And I I, mean, that makes sense because it's a highly visual story that relies on I that. I saw episode 3 before it was found on Did... Lost in Time and of, out of context that episode really isn't very enjoyable like it's only good once you've seen the first two episodes preceding it right but Jacob can you confirm the story does not work well as like an audio oh, it, or it, 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 it doesn't it does not work nearly as well I enjoyed it but, but like I was also aware that I'm missing that might have been because I was aware that I was missing something like a lot, apparently the uh, popular opinion about this was it was utterly atrocious before it was found oh yeah in the 2009 doctor who magazine poll i think this came around the 150 region out of 200 stories oh wow damn which is a damn shame it was lost for so long because this reverse tomb of the cybermen just think of how much of a good find this was though because this is probably one of the episodes that most benefits from having the visuals so oh yeah i'm I'm so glad it was found eventually because like it's so fucking good it's like missing episodes like morris yeah be be careful about that he's he's oh. doing his best to dig a hole and soil his reputation was it found but... by philip morris yeah 
Yikes. Yeah, right. <laughs> this and uh, most of Web of Fear. <laughs> Look, I'm just I'm just ignoring what he's saying. He's still the guy you found lots of dog to, and he's gonna go and find more. Look, that's <laughs> this, all he is. He didn't say anything just, else. Just like cradling the Web of Fear episode three in his attic, like he. So, anything else to add on the enemy of the world? Uh, we haven't even talked about the evil villain bunker in the, the oh yeah the, the story. The, the, um, the kind of conspiracy that goes on in the story is great. I mean, it's very, very just grand scale, almost, almost to a silly extent. But just how good the characters and the build up and the world building had been makes it believable, and it give it definitely gives it that kind of James Bond feel. The fact well, that you, you, it's no, it's the, no small as thing. soon as the bunker is revealed, like that's the first time you have any real implication that salamander is evil and not just kind of a dick yeah Yeah. episode four is that where it's first introduced four episodes in yeah well because because salamander could be just a totally regular guy and that's another great thing i I don't know that's not true because he does kind of poison somebody to death in episode three after he doesn't go with obeying his orders to kill somebody else i mean i mean even then that's episode three you know you still have two whole yeah. episodes where the doctor's just being fed information that like oh yeah this guy's evil you have to stop him and the doctor's like okay fine whatever um but you don't get episode three you get to reveal that he's evil but episode four you get to reveal that oh he actually wants to destroy the fucking world and rule the world <laughs> like yeah like it, it builds the scale which is another strength to David Whittaker's writing that, like, he plays each of the he writes each of the characters like real people. Um, I mean, I guess I can't really imagine a Ramon Salamander in the real world, but uh, <laughs> um, but it, it is interesting to like think of it that like he he made us think that Salamander could be normal enough, like enough that like the public eye by the end could still think he was normal. And there's that final twist that Giles Kent is also just in on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's such a good twist. Like that—that's the, the thing about the story. It's just full of so many great twists and turns, and you care about them just because of how great all the characters are. So, uh, I guess that about does it for the enemy of the world. Let's give ratings out of ten for the enemy of the world. Uh, who would like to? S- I'm going to start with mm, Brian. Strong ten. Ten. Okay, uh, Jacob. I uh, give it a nine. I'm going to agree with that. Give it a nine, Dylan. Nine. Nine. Solid. So for once, Brian being a cunt is uh, is actually him being more positive than us. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so let's move on to The Web of Fear by Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln. I would like to start this one, actually, because this is actually my favorite Troughton story. And um, it's kind of perfect, isn't it? Uh, I, I love this one so much. Um, I, almost, I, I often forget how... Uh, really boring and 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 uh, and slow. The abominable snowman is because the web of fear is just so damn strong. It has such a a tight pace and script to it, um, and uh, and and Douglas Canfield's direction is absolutely spot on. Um, it's easily. I mean, I I don't know. This is a bold claim. I think it's his best ever uh, Doctor Who directing job. Um, I can't think of anything better off the top of my head. I feel because... like Inferno would have been better if he'd finished it. That's yeah, okay. like because the because yeah. the because the location film scenes which he did are absolutely outstanding. And I mean, it's not, as far as not poorly directed because he made such good notes, and it's clear it's clearly yeah. in Campfield style. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. Uh, but but with this one, I mean, the atmosphere is just so so high. 
Um, and it's, it's all thanks to his directing. Like the script is really strong, but if it weren't for Canfield, Canfield makes this entire, uh, entire story come alive. Well, this story um, would not work under a weak director. It would like, Oh yeah. You yeah. wouldn't be able to take the Yeti seriously, but just the way he films them and the way like they have a very intimidating presence, it, it works. The, 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 the upgraded costumes really help too. Yeah, I, li- I like the addition of the glowing eyes. And that was yeah. definitely Camfield who wanted the oh, costumes. De- oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, could, yeah, oh, yeah. Because he must have looked at the at the older, older Yeti costumes and been like, they just look like fucking teddy bears. You, they're monsters, aren't they? So, um... So yeah, I think they are really intimidating in this. They look a lot great. of iconic moments come out of this season. I just realized. Oh yeah, this is one thing. It's, it's, one of the, it's 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 probably the most popular '60s season for a reason. Well, one like one thing we've talked about quite a lot in all these episodes is how great the atmosphere is. But this one absolutely knocks out of the park. Has one of the best atmospheres. Dude, in that party. scene where the yeti is like slowly coming to life. Travers knows something's gonna go really badly. Oh, and he kills yeah. Julius Silverstein. They use the and music that, that would be that later first, used in like, the Shining. Oh my god, that first scene is my is my favorite individual scene in all of Doctor Who. Oh, me <laughs> too, so man. Good. Fucking like, it, like takes that out of context of Doctor Who and just tell somebody, like, this was a Hollywood classic from the 1960s that was oh, yeah. you know, one yeah, Oscars absolutely. and stuff. It's like, you could believe so it. Like, good. Just how good the director so, is. So, so good. Fucking love it. Um, and, and, and Travers, you think, even just watching it, you think, oh, Travers is an old man. This And the Yeti's already been defeated earlier in the season. It, they're not going to be back. I mean, obviously, then they are back immediately afterwards because mm-hmm. or else you wouldn't uh, have a story. I think and, that you brought up a good point, Joey, about the pace. This has to be one of those perfectly paced Doctor Who stories. Just in the, It knows exactly the right time to release new bits of information. And yeah. this just keeps the what's going on with the Yeti interesting, but also keeps the miss the almost faux murder mystery where it's like who is working for the intelligence just even better because there's so many diff like I always talk about Terror of the Verboids as the example of exactly how not to do a murder mystery. But this while this isn't technically a murder mystery, it's exactly how you should do one because there's so many different red herrings and little drips and drabs of information. And if you're really attentive and really clever, you can tell who it is. But oh yeah, probably and, like, and like just and each, it's done so well. Each each little nugget of information we're given in this is is revealed at, at just the perfect time. I have to agree with you there. That I mean, like, it, and, and and they're safe for the best moments too. Like like each each great twist, shock, and revelation in this is safe for the cliffhangers, and they're done so perfectly. Um, each new and 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 like and in between, you know, you have you have a world like so beautifully crafted with such rich characters. And in the one episode that's missing in this, we meet, of course, I like to bring this up because it's very significant. We meet one uh, well, we Colonel Lethbridge Stewart. What's up? Well, we need. To, I was gonna say we need to talk about. Yeah, it. we need to talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just shows oh, how great the side characters are in the story. Again, it's oh, another yeah. story which really benefits from having such great side characters. And again, that's what makes the murder mystery element really work. And, and Nick Horton, like, supposed characters... to play the the colonel in this. Like, it's like the side character is so Knight. good. It, it spawned off like you know one of the most famous side characters in Doctor Who. Who oh came yeah, back and it's so weird because ago. because it's so weird because Mervyn Hazeman and Henry Lincoln don't have a strong track record before or after this story. Like this, uh, this is the uh, one script where they absolutely knocked it out of the park, and they nailed every single beat and moment, and made it so perfect. I, think. I feel like well, be fair is... to them for the Dominators. That was heavily, heavily edited to the point where they disassociated from it entirely. That's uh, that's fair. Okay, I I, I still don't like the Dominators anyway. You know, I, I I don't think it was a 
a terribly strong idea, but whatever. I feel like this to... is the moment where I should also mention that Lethbridge Stewart has his own novel series, which is really fucking cool. I've read the first book in it. It's a follow-up. It follows Web of Fear up directly. It's a direct sequel. Oh, and Sounds it's... good. Oh, yeah, it's really well written. It nails the character of the Brigadier down really nicely. Does it, um, it, does it, does it sort of like like spin off of the... Um... Uh, off the Virgin books, like with with his wife and, and daughter and everything. I think that comes up eventually. It doesn't come up in the first book. Do they? Do they? Does do he they bring up the first sort of story arc, or at least from what I've heard, the first sort of story arc in the series does take place between Web of Fear and the invasion. Cool. So, like, a lot. Who, of who wrote? Pretty... Who wrote the first? Who who wrote the first book? Of Left uh, let me get it off my bookshelf. I'll be with you guys in a second. I will get you that answer. Well, in the meantime, let's talk about the fabulous Nick Courtney, who I just <laughs> adore in this. Instantly I mean, he... has such a presence when he enters the story. Oh yeah, and the script doesn't and, shy and... away from making you think possibly he could be working with the intelligence. Like, oh yeah, like he, now, he's that is like... one thing that makes this story retroactively not as good as it would have been on broadcast because we know it's not the brigadier but if you didn't know that the murder mystery would be even better oh i I still even think you can see past it because it's like well it doesn't that doesn't mean uh like the intelligence that we has already been shown to take people's minds over it doesn't mean that he's he's a bad person and you know uh, actually one thing i do want oh sorry you can go first brian so jacob um the guy who wrote this first book is named Andy Frankham Allen. And the second book, I haven't read it yet. Dylan, you'd be interested in this. Is actually yeah, it's like, Inferno sequel. Yeah, it's a prequel to Inferno. So anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about with Boba Fear now is uh, the casting. Because there are a ton of roles in this, uh, particularly like military officers and, and, and like uh, Lethbridge Stewart being one of them, that could have been such generic roles if they weren't cast so perfectly and with such charismatic actors. Um, I Staff Arnold, I don't... especially. Well, oh, wasn't, yeah, yeah, Wasn't Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier actually their second choice or something? Yeah, well, yeah, like, Courtney was cast as originally as, as Captain Knight. But, um, oh, he was Knight? Really? Yeah, he was going to be Captain Knight, but then Doug Campfield was like, eh, I don't like this guy that's playing the Colonel. He's out. Uh, hey Nick, you want this other role? It's like sure. It's like I don't. And, and Nick Courtney in his memoirs even said I didn't mind the the, the Colonel was a, a meteor role, which it is. And F- fucking fate, and, man. And, <laughs> uh, also, what you said, Joey, um, about like, how good the casting is, because I was just saying about Staff Arnold. I mean, it is it, like he's written well, but also the actor really does make that role and you're so sad when it turns out he is the intelligence because he was such an affable chap like he was mm-hmm. so charismatic and like he's like oh this nice little old sergeant you know just going along doing this well not uh, staff well but i i don't know military ranks but yeah it, it, it does show that strength <laughs> oh um, you know the scene that takes me out of the story and it's really just a choice of music because I associate it with the Cybermen. Oh, but I love that scene. It's one of the best scenes in the story. Don't get me wrong. It's it's really good, but I, it just takes me right out of it for a second because I'm like, wait a minute. That that piece of music doesn't belong here. Plus, it's another great example of how good location shooting in, uh, in, in black and white can look. 
I adore the way that scene looks and yeah. feels. Location and the music film I, I, never I was as good outside another, of white. Another thing I like about this story, though, I don't know, we've mentioned this already, how it can both simultaneously feel really claustrophobic and also, like, very wide in scope because of how the set is built and Camfield shoots it. Yeah. It's like... Absolutely. You feel really... like there's stuff going on everywhere in this whole underground catacomb. Yeah. You know what's like, great is I think we just spent like 10 minutes talking about this story and we haven't even talked about Troughton, Hines, and Watling. <laughs> well, they're also all great. Like the doctor, yeah. <laughs> like the doc, well, you have, you have this great moment of uh, Deborah Watling going off because uh, she has that miscommunication with Anne Travers um, who thinks maybe, maybe, maybe. And, and kind of rightly so, hey, maybe this mysterious character who you've only met when you've met the great intelligence before, Dad, is um, maybe they're in league with the intelligence. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and we even have that moment, too. What was it? The part four cliffhanger, I want to say? Um, where uh, where Travers is with the intelligence. I love that. Oh, yeah, because he comes in and that 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 is such a creepy cliffhanger oh yeah oh, i remember yeah. when we watched it i i was like holy fuck that's creepy yeah right it's oh god it's so was good. i on that commentary i think i, I think was. you were yeah yeah it was it was the three of us it was you me and brian because that was such a fun commentary oh yeah we go back like um that scene that brian was complaining about i just want to just talk about how great that is not only just in the way it's shot and how tense it is but just in the way it bridges two parts of the story because before that i kind of start off site right they're doing a solid campaign now that the brigadier's here just to sort everything out. You know, he's here just to kick things into shape. They're going to get the intelligence all going well. And then just through that whole operation, just everything just dis dissipates. And it's complete hopelessness. The way that happens when you just realise how much was lost in just that, um, you know, 15 to 20 minute sequence is just like, Christ, what are they going to do now? And oh, it, so, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good scene. It's just the music takes me out. And, but, and it's like, but it's not just the scene itself. It's what it does for the story and how it makes you feel afterwards and how it contributes to just the, the end of the story being so yeah. good. Yeah. And, and, and I, Jamie, I'm, and, I'm Jamie and Victoria both yeah. feel, both sort of act, their characters, well, Heinz and Motley act sort of as out of place because, like, this is, they're both, in this like confined space that neither of them really understand like it's set in the london underground i mean the london underground was actually uh did actually start in the very very late 1800s i believe hmm. okay well, well at least for jamie jamie wouldn't understand oh yeah absolutely victoria might um no, probably not well but she does what trains are at least yeah so anyway, um, I guess that. Oh, and the it. sets are just oh. so so good looking. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, by all means, keep gushing. Wait, 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 wait a second. Story. Apparently, it was London Underground was founded in 1863. Oh. I just cool. searched it up. It like, I didn't realize it was that old. It wasn't very different, I imagine, though, in the 1860s. Yeah, yeah. probably like much earlier trains. Well, if if it was trained, well, I mean, I don't know. I'd need to research that. Well, I mean, what, so anyway. if it wasn't trains, what what would it have been? Well, I'm just struggling to picture this with like the kind of train technology they had then, but whatever. So I mean, anyway. obviously, I think maybe founded it just means they started making it. 
rather than it was anywhere near complete. Okay, I'm zoned we'll, we'll, out. We'll, we'll be we'll, we'll be allowed to uh to move on eventually. So <laughs> let's do a rings and of still, ten. The love's underground. After rings of ten four, the web of fear. I'm gonna give it a very confident ten out of ten, Brian. I'm gonna give it an eight. What the fuck, Brian? <laughs> Jacob. Uh, yeah, no, ten. Thank you, Dylan. Nine. Sean, uh, Brian, and kind of Dylan. All right, so let us move on to Fury from the Deep by Victor Pemberton. And before we get into this, remember when I used to write these mini reviews of TV Who stories on 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 Doctor Who Amino? Do you remember that, anyone? I don't. So, okay, so I used to do that a long time that would ago. Be so and long ago. I don't even remember that, and I love. So uh, I had this. I had this guy yell at me on my Fury from the Deep mini review that uh, that I didn't talk about the uh, the introduction of the Sonic Screwdriver in this because it's such an important event in 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 the history of of the Earth. So um, but here we go. We're mentioning it now. The Sonic Screwdriver was introduced in Fury from the Deep, and that is an important thing, apparently. And, and the Sonic what, Screwdriver is Joe, terrible and was what a mistake. Does it do in Fury from the Deep. Exactly, like it's there at the very it beginning. Fucks like, it, it does what it does. What's in its name? It does yes. that in the war games too. That's all it, it does. Act, it actually does something that's not ridiculous, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, anyway, can I, can I can I start gushing over how brilliant Fury from the Deep is? Because it's so brilliant. See, okay, you know, I, I I'd like to counter that before you even begin because I'm not Me a big too. fan of Fury from the Deep. So right. this is although Here's I think we should watch the animation though first before yeah, we be too harsh yeah. on it. See, I this agree. is my favorite Troughton. Really? Yeah, I love Jesus I love the atmosphere. Christ. I love the building. I love how it's vi- like Web of Fear. Web of Fear and Fury do some very similar things, and they both do them incredibly well. Like there's this feels Lovecraftian. Like we don't ever really know what the weed is, other than just this sentient plant. Um, it, it it takes over people's minds. You have that that creepy as hell as fuck clip from episode two of Oak and Quill gassing them. Uh, the Even in the recon, episode... just the way they look is fucking creepy, dude. Like, yeah, I well, know. Yeah. Well, they're yeah, easily the reason the... why I like this story so much. Just the fucking creep factor of their goddamn faces. And, and you have you have the you 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 have the episode four cliffhanger where Maggie Harris just walks into the sea underneath the sea and it's just it and that's just your cliffhanger which is i, I wish think, that uh, existed to me that kind of shows why i think maybe i this is one i would enjoy much more that had visuals because yeah. i'm not too keen but it's moments like that where i imagine it'd be so brilliantly atmospheric with visuals it, it's also but a story it is, where it kind of it's awkward. a story where no one dies yet you feel the effects um yeah victoria's exit at the end has uh, they spend a lot of time on it um, and make it makes it feel really well good. Um, also, R.I.P. Deborah Watling. Deborah Watling is dead. Told Fuck you off. That. <laughs> See, that's the joke I was talking. About. See, no, 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 the joke. No, you should have saved the joke for when we started talking about the wheel in space when she's already gone because the joke originated when Brian randomly brought up her death when we had already moved on to Zoe in the in the Trouton retrospective. Oh, right. <laughs> But um, um, Fear, Fury from the Deep. I think I'm sort of in agreement with Dylan on this one. Like, I feel like it's a really good story. It just needs visuals. Yeah, 
I, I have so, a really hard time getting into this one for some reason. Me too, and me like, too. And I, I think it is just because it's so visually oriented. Because there is still a bit of an atmosphere there, but just so many moments are just kind of stunted by the lack of visuals, yeah, which obviously yeah. is think, the story's fault. I think, and I think that may also be an issue because, like with the story as a whole, because like there's not too much sound design outside of like outside of the weed and outside of. Um, yeah, but the Trethan weed is... sound design sound design is really oh good. yeah oh yeah it's great yeah. but like outside of that there's not much <laughs> there to really get, to really get you I, I don't want to I guess physically invested in the story but like you know like when it's when the story is is coming at you like on on multiple levels um I, yeah it is one that would definitely benefit from being able to see it but also it might be a fault of the, of the story because it's not still able to captivate me Brian or Dylan without the visuals. I mean, there is some criticisms I'd kind of make outside See, of this I, kind of thing where I'd more like, you know, maybe talk about the, the flow of the story where pretty much the only intrigue is what is this weird weed stuff. And it, it takes a while to really go anywhere. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it doesn't even... There's, I, I almost feel that like it isn't wholly satisfying by the time you get to it, uh, given like just how long we've been waiting around to find out what it is. See, my and only then real it's kind issue. of gone quickly. And then also, a lot of the characters, even though they are good characters, they do feel maybe a bit tropey. Like, See, as I said, I compared it to the Ice Warriors earlier, and everybody agreed. I like the slow build-up in this one, though. It's, it's, I love a slow burn, but... It's really fucking, it's really fucking good and tense. It's just... My, I think my only issue with it has to be the visuals. It just stunts my enjoyment of the entire story. I feel like I'm going to like this one a lot better once I see the animation. Do we have any idea when the animation's actually coming out? Nope. I, I, I think it's some. I think it's supposed to be sometime in September now, but I don't know. I'm not sure. But yeah, so maybe I am being unfair because obviously I, I haven't seen. It, but I don't know. I just feel that maybe there's not quite enough intrigue. And, in this episode, at I points. think Joey, Joey, you said something a second ago that you said it's a fault of the story that you know the fact that it has to rely on visuals. That's I don't necessarily agree with that. A, it was made as a visual medium. Yeah. You know? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, 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 I, I agree with that. But like, in that level, it's it's, it's no it's, fault. It's, it's, of I, the I guess, I guess, writing, like, I guess I what I'm really trying to say there is like there are certain other lost stories that are still able to captivate you. And that's really just the story going above and beyond. Um, I, you know, Fury from the Deep, like, it's not like a big issue that it's that it's not able to do that without visuals, but it certainly makes it seem a bit weaker in the pantheon of, of missing episodes that I we have. I think it's sort of a similar effect that um, Enemy of the World had on everyone when it was missing. Probably happening with us. Oh, or definitely. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like. I still enjoy the story. I still think it's 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 nice and atmospheric. I love the clips that we have. I love the telesnaps. Um, it is a bit long, uh, and I love the ending. But I don't know. I I can't get into too much into it with just the recon. Yeah, same. Uh, that being said, I guess let's talk about Victoria's exit um, because uh, that that is really nice. I love I love. I, I think we already sort of broke down her character arc early on, um, but I love the head that that comes to. I love, I love seeing Victoria finally make the decision for herself and finally step up and say, "Look, this is not the life for me. Like, I I can't do this anymore." And uh, and I think her her exit scenes, I should say, uh, are really nice. Uh, because and it's uh, one that has been built up previously. Like you could feel the seeds of that being sown, especially in an episode like the Ice Warriors and the Web of Fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
uh yeah it's great stuff uh and also uh fraser hines i think is great off of her in those moments yeah <sighs> and, and just not, not much to talk about for a six-parter huh damn that kind of hurts <laughs> Shit. it's still favorite. and and this is your favorite trouton jacob hey yes give them the, hey don't give this man any shit. My favorite Troughton is the Macra Terror, okay? Well, I Let's... love the Macra Terror, too, and I can understand why. But, like, I don't know, man. Dude, I think just... Dylan booed me the other day because I said Macra Terror is my favorite Troughton. I mean, Dylan... No, 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 no it's because your my... favorite of season four over Power of the Daleks, which is wrong. Yeah, yeah, and over Evil of the Daleks. Yeah, my top three Troutons in order. It for, number three is evil. Number two is power, and and number one is this. Rip Brio. All right, let's give ratings out of ten for Fury from the Deep. I'm going to give it a six out of ten, Brian. I'm not gonna go that low, just because I have, you know, I think on paper it works really well. It's just hindered by the I... lack of visuals. So I'm gonna be really generous. And say it's a seven point five. You know, I have the target novel of this. Maybe I'll enjoy it more if I read the target novel. Uh, Dylan, the London Underground was extended to Watford Gap in nineteen seventy-seven. Fucking kill myself, <laughs> Dylan. Every time you open your mouth and do something like that, a little piece of me dies inside, and a little piece of me gets closer and closer to actually considering suicide. Oh, I'm so pleased it does. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what is your rating out of 10 for? I don't seven out of 10. I've, I've been criticizing it, but it is an enjoyable story still. It's just maybe I'm coming at it from the point of view that I don't quite enjoy it as everybody else, but I think that when the animation comes out, I will probably like it more. Yeah, I'd expect this one to go up in our rankings. Uh, I give it a 10. It's my favorite Troughton. Okay. Boom. Which, actually, um... I think we're in the minority on that, by the way, Dylan and joey a lot of people love this story like, oh, oh yeah we're definitely we're definitely in the minority like <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely yeah anyway let's move on to our final story of this podcast no, the wheel are. in the wheel in space no, by david are. whitaker from a story by kip Pedler. you know our no, ways no. you must be destroyed <laughs> who would like turn to off your sexual air supply god damn it i hate this i hate this so much I'll starve you. You know, I like this story more than a lot. A lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. I that think... is, that... Oh. Okay. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Slug, Daddy Slug, don't leave me. <laughs> Really leave. It was a joke. I, I figured, <laughs> but it sounded like you did. <laughs> it's because I mad like this is this is how you did it behind the scenes, Jacob. Is I opened the door and closed it while staying in the room. It's a clever trick. Oh, trick of audio medium. Dylan can teach me a thing or two about sound design. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, who like <laughs> who would like to start? <laughs> you just hear the door slam again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, no, it's all right. You can start, Joe. I'm not going to no, steal no, your thunder. No, no, I don't care. Go ahead. 
right, well, I like the wheel in space more than a lot of people. Like, it seems to have this reputation of kind of just being the naff Trout and Sidemen story. It's not very good and not enough happened in it. And while there definitely is some merit as some of the criticisms given, I still think the fact that it's written by David Whitaker and he is a great writer shines through. So it's definitely not his best script. In fact, it's almost certainly his worst, I'd say. Um, but it's it still heavily edited because he couldn't get the rights to the Daleks to do the Dalek versus Cyberman story he wanted well, no, to do. Well, no, because the idea was still the idea was still by Kip Pedler. Like it was, there was still a Cyberman story originally there. The Dalek idea was just a proposed notion. Like there wasn't a script for that. Oh, okay, never mind. But I've got up. I think one thing I love about this story is atmosphere. Episode one and episode two of this story are just amazing with just how just kind of empty everything feels just so kind of mysterious because it really captures that uh vibe of they're kind of stuck in this weird place in space and not really sure what's going on and then they get taken to the wheel and it kind of goes a bit downhill from there when they get on the wheel because nothing really happens again until part five part six in fact no i'd say until part six nothing really happens again because like there's not really any actual threat other than impending asteroid storm uh, for most of the story. Like, the Simon only really properly get involved in episode six, so that is maybe where one of the problems is, but aside from that, it's great uh, in terms of its atmosphere, and I also think the side characters are really good as well. Uh, uh, I, do, I do actually want to... Before you go on yeah, that one, I do, 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 do want to backpedal off... Plot. Sorry. I do want to backpedal off of something you said early on uh, about episodes one and two being really great and feeling really, really empty, which is a great way to sort of bounce off the end of Fury from the Deep, which is both reflective of the story, like, you know, the the, the feeling of the episodes are really empty, um, but really empty thematically for the Doctor and Jamie as well, because they just locked a dear friend to them, and uh, and as such, that's that's reflected in the feel of the story, I think, or at least yeah. the story early on, until, until they do meet Zoe, and then the story kind of thematically lightens up, as well as... Um, as well as lightening the mood of the entire thing. And wow, Brian, it looks like it's just you and me, because they both muted their mics. <laughs> Great. Okay, Lovely. so what I have to say on this story, because <laughs> I was I was still getting my thoughts together. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one, for me, is still sort of... Eh. Um, there, there are things I like about it. There are plenty of things I like about it. I like the sound design. The sound design is really nice. Um, I like about half of the Cyberman voices, so that's something. Um, <laughs> who, who, who does the Cyberman voices? In this? I think it's I think it's Roy Skelton and Peter Hawkins. Uh, yes, it is. You got it right in the money. Hot damn. And I think Roy Skelton might be the one I really don't like here. <laughs> ah, I like uh, I like them, but whatever. I like the one that sounds like it smoked for forty years. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, no, I think it. this is definitely a story that plays up the creep factor of, you know, the Cybermen sort of just being this thing that lurks in the shadows, sort of akin to the Moonbase, but it does it slightly more effectively here, while Moonbase is still definitely the superior story in my mind. I, I think they're utilized, I think the Cybermen are utilized, maybe not as, like, their, you know, body horror style type thing that they you know are meant to be but they're utilized as a thing that's horrific lurking in the shadows really well here and uh yeah i think that's my positives on the story other than that i just kind of find it eh. um i do like 
Jamie and the Doctor being agitated at the beginning because of the previous story's events. But yeah, that's the that's my two cents. I definitely criticize how the Cybermen are using this story. And obviously you've got the, the whole thing of like, you know, it doesn't really play up the body horror. And just beyond that, I just don't really feel like they're characterized in any way, which, you know, reflects the fact that these are humans who were desperately survived, lost their humanity, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, they could just be replaced by anything and the story wouldn't change. Like, you could just put any monster in that space. And I think that's always a problem when that happens. Because, I mean, it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it, and it just feel, almost feels like a waste when you could replace a monster with anything. Because it just kind of shows that they've had no... They, they brought nothing unique to the story when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it is a shame that like in a in a Cyberman story, they are definitely the weakest aspect about it for me. The belly, um, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but one thing I do a, really. A... No, no, sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sure you're. No, I, was only, I was only. Re- I was only reiterating. Uh, all right. So what I was gonna say was uh, one thing I do really love about this, of course, is our new companion Zoe. Uh, I think. Of course, Wendy Padbury just utterly shines in this. Uh, she comes across as a really likable character. Um, and definitely, you, like, it, it falls into that sort of, I mean, the, the archetype that I'm sure we've broken down a million times on on, my, on our, our respective channels, Dylan, of David Whitaker introducing a companion um, as looking as looking for a reason to travel with the Doctor and, and wanting to see the universe. Yeah, that's what wanting, I was going to say. Yeah. Because, like, David Whitaker, just every time he introduces a companion, he really gives a firm basis to kind of, for future development. It's not always capitalized on. Like, there was definitely a lot more could have been done with Vicky. It was his two episodes with Vicky in, which were brilliant. Uh, and then, but, and Zoe, maybe it isn't, like, done, uh, they don't really continue this arc as much as perhaps they should have. But I, I really respect what David Whitaker does in terms of setting them up to have future development actually have a reason to want to travel because like so many people are just like i want to travel because i want to see the universe or i want to escape my problems in real life it's like here's some people who actually have some very human issues with themselves and um you know what want to travel to help solve those things and it and it just shows how good of a writer david whitaker is uh especially good of a character I'm really glad that this was in the hands of David Whitaker and not Kit Peddler. I guess as he was originally supposed to write it, um, because if it were if it were a Kit Peddler script or, or hell, most other writers in the '60s, um, you know, it could have been just another character that happened to be in the story, um, and they would have just randomly joined the TARDIS at the end. But but you know, David Whitaker takes the time to craft Zoe alongside the rest of the characters in this, and uh, and really and really it give her a reason. It also helps that Wendy Padbury yeah. does a good job with like sliding in with Troughton and Hines just as actors. I don't think she quite slots in easily in this story. It's it's definitely something that, that that's explored better in in season six. Um, but yeah, I, I mean she, I, she's fine. I hate to unhinge this slightly, but I feel like I have to. Have you guys heard heard the memory cheats? Yes. No. This is it's, it's such audience. a good conclusion to Zoe's character arc. Just while we're on Zoe, it's so like, second I've, chances. I've heard, as well. I've heard Fear of the Daleks, which is also a post war game Zoe thing. That one's not as good though. <laughs> memory yeah, cheats. It's not nearly as interesting. Memory cheats though. The fucking superb. The memory Love cheats them. and second chances are beautiful. It just shows how great of a character Zoe is, and just how much room there was for further development that wasn't capitalized upon. But it just credit David Whitaker for that. I think this 
this story really highlights just how good he is with um, character, uh, with writing characters and character drama. Because it's like, this has to be by far his weakest story in terms of an actual plot. Like, the plot itself isn't that great, it isn't that unique, and it barely gets going for the first five parts. But even then, even in like an, for him, what is him, what what is for him a massive off day, he gets the characters per, like you know perfect still because all of the characters on the wheel are interesting and have all sorts of little interplays and dynamics that are great to watch along. It's just a shame that not many of them really get to that involved with what's actually happening because the plot doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's an, yeah. like do you guys remember that? cardinal sin i was talking about with the abominable snowman it's not as big an issue here because the characters are so enjoyable but this story bore, bores me to tears it doesn't bore me because i really like the characters but it has to be said like episodes one and two are good episode six is all right but the rest of them yeah they do drag a little this could easily have been have been tightened down to a, a pretty good four-parter uh, I still don't think I wouldn't, it still would have been a good four part because the problem isn't that it's a small plot being stretched out. The problem is there's really no plot there, other than like big bad attack spaceship. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, no, it no, is no, literally episodes one based and two into one episode. Condense the first two episodes into one episode. Um, well, no, no, don't condense the first two episodes. They're actually great. <laughs> episode, I, I don't like episode one. It's... What? You are fucking insane. Just actually speaking I... of episode one, has anybody seen the first half of episode one animated on the Macro Terror release? I have. I like it. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. I still need to. Anyway, uh, all right. Anything else to add on the wheel in space? All right, cool. Uh, ratings out of 10 for The Wheel in Space. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Dylan? I'm going to give it a 7. seven? I, well, it's, that's really generous. I don't know. 6 no, or 7. No, no, so, I mean, that's, that's fair. I was originally going to give this a 6, but talking about it, I gave it a 6.5. Well, so. actually, well, thinking about it, I don't want to put it on the same level as Fury from the Deep. As Fury from the Deep is definitely a superior story. No one's I, hate, I, I hate doing decimal points, but I'm probably going to have to do it for this and give it a 6.5. Uh, Jacob? I have to give it a 5. 5. And Brian? I gave it a 6. Cool. Well, for once, Jacob was the most harsh on a season 5 story. How about yeah, it's my least favorite story from the season. All right, well, I prefer the, Abominable actually, Snowman actually, by far. These, these rankings... You prefer sh- Abominable Snowman to this? No, I prefer this to Abominable Snowman. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, Brian, Brian. Uh, I prefer Abominable Snowman, snowman to this. Yeah, because Jacob gave Abominable Snowman a fucking seven. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to flip a fucking table and knock your eye well, out. You, well, you can do that. You're so angry, Brian. <laughs> like, all the time. You need to chill out, man. You need to smoke whatever that Cyberman's been smoking, man. Like, yeah, man, we're going to take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus? <laughs> what the fuck? Right. So, hey, okay, we're going to do um, uh, rankings from least favorite to favorite. Now. This should actually be really fun because while we all, I guess, absolutely adore this season, uh, there, there there seem to be a lot of conflict as to favorites and least favorites. So uh, here we go. I'm going to start off with mine. Uh, at the bottom, I have a Abominable Snowman. Then, uh, as I duck for cover, I'm going to put a Fear from the Deep. Then I'm going to say Wheel in Space. 
Then I you forgot to mention that the Sonic Screwdriver is in Fury from the Deep. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Sonic <laughs> Screwdriver is in Fury, Fury from the Deep. I did not forget that, of course. Once again, uh, the Sonic Screwdriver is in Fury from the Deep. Uh, but then, of course, Wheel in Space, then Ice Warriors, then Enemy of the World, Tomb of the Cybermen, and the Web of Fear at the top. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. Okay. Uh, at the bottom, I have Wheel in Space, then the Abominable Snowmen, then the Ice Warriors, then Tomb. What the fuck? Yeah, here's the problem. They're all here's, We're at the point where everything is so brilliant, it's like, uh... Actually, yeah. Yeah, then I tomb, can kind of understand that, to be fair. Here's, here's my problem, yeah. Then Tomb, then Enemy, then Web, then Fury. Who? What a choice. But, Jacob, you but, sounded so nervous there. <laughs> You're just like, okay, I can do this. I can fucking do this. <laughs> don't let Joey like, murder me. Even though I disagree with his order, but it's, it's just like they are I all I get stupid. murdered all the time, it's fine. You know, yeah, we well, stop the same, saying the same sorry like, so pathetically, Jacob. The same thing happened when we did the, um, the Trout and Retrospective. We all just like... Um, when we were doing the best of worst and worst of each season, we named like a ton of really good ones, and we only like left out one story by the end, and we all had like different answers for the best of the season, because like it is a, it is just that strong of a season. Um, all right, so who would like to go next? I'll go. All right. So at the bottom, coming to no surprise to anyone, um, the it's two, right? Snowman. Oh yeah, definitely. Two. <laughs> the Abominable Snowmen. Uh, next is Wheel in Space. Then the Ice Warriors, Fury from the Deep, Web of Fear, Tomb of the Cybermen, and at the top, Enemy of the World. You know, I think that's the closest we've ever been, Brian, To as far as comparing lists go. That's not too bad. Uh, all right, Dylan? All right, so the bottom we have a bond will Snowmen, then uh, the Wheel in Space, then Fury from the Deep, then the Ice Warriors, then the Enemy of the World, then the Web of Fear, and right at the top, we have the London Underground, which was refurbished in 1997 <laughs> to get better ventilation. All right, that one got away. You know, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, actually, um, Dylan actually came even closer to my list. He only swapped... The two of the side at the top. So uh, Jacob's boys. the edgy contrarian this time. Wow. Huh. I, it is just that strong of a season. I, I, love I mean... Is it yeah? Is it really edgy when like we gave years? Your list three at least three massively different. Actually, actually, weirdly enough, I think Jacob Jacob was like the most controversial here because he put Wheel at the bottom and Fury at the top, and none of us had anything close to that. Well, I had I had Wheel near the bottom, but I think everybody has Wheel near the bottom. But we just think. I mean, actually, Jacob, let me challenge you on this. How the fuck is Abominable Snowmen better than Wheel in Space? Yeah. Uh, it, it, for me, Abominable Snowman does not. I, I, I have never fallen asleep watching Abominable, Snow, Abominable Snowman, whereas I have fallen asleep watching Wheel. I mean, I've fallen asleep watching the invasion. I was just fall ill. Asleep in Abominable Snowman! <laughs> it's a decent story. It's fine, but like, I don't. It's not like better than Wheel in Space. Wheel in Space at least has like David Whittaker's brilliant character drama. And I hate the first episodes of Wheel in Space. Well, the what? Oh, fuck wrong. off. Yeah, that, that, that yeah. is... Jacob, that you're is... literally the worst right now. Yeah, say wow. sorry, Jacob. Apologize <laughs> no. to us. Apologize to the Sim. audience of Security Kitchen Production. <laughs> I'm not apologizing to your audience, Joey. <laughs> well, he apologizes to us so many times throughout the video, and it's like, oh, stop it, Jacob, stop it. Then what we actually want him to do is like, oh, no. 
No, no, this is the whole I'm dying. I'm only pathetic when you don't want me. Jacob doesn't apologize for anything. Jacob runs secretly runs our fucking channels because he can tell us how to run them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, he's Um... secretly what's keeping this channel sexist. Just like with his own channel, he's stopping us from having female voices on it. All right. So, (sighs) fuck! I hate everything. All right, we're gonna we're gonna start to close this out. Uh, We're gonna do plugs. Who would like to begin? Anything to plug, Brian? Um. I've been working on a lot of things for Joey recently. Um, well, it's true. If you haven't heard the Witchmark trailer, why haven't you? Go listen to it. I've been editing the Romance of Crime audiobook that's coming along, and that is read by Marcus, who is an excellent narrator, might He's I add. He's so good. I and uh, Brilliant. at the moment... Because I've put I've put Romance of Crime on a bit of a halt for a second just so I can get through editing on my Genesis of the Daleks review, which should be coming along sometime soon on my channel. I don't know. I've been I've been busy with a lot of things, so I haven't been keeping up with my channel this year. But that uh, that should be coming at some point soon. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lord Slug. Uh, I recently bought a bum plug of a picture of Spider-Man. God damn it! <laughs> Why? I mean, that is technically a type of plug. <laughs> and also, good, here's a good advice for plugs and plug sockets. Make sure to get a wet fork and stab it in. It gets it working if it's broken. God damn it. Oh. Alright, subscribe to Lord Slar, I guess. Uh, Jacob, what are your plugs? Uh, I, when this comes out, I should be nearing the end of the older Nissa arc in my marathon. Um, uh, this is coming out tomorrow, so maybe not. I mean, I've fine, fine. I should have finished. I should be on the final trilogy of the older Nissa arc. So, Ooh, so keep an eye this out for that. This really good. Have you heard it? I haven't. I, I wait, 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 wait. What did you just say, Brian? Mistfall. Mistfall can get to fuck my man. I fucking Equilibrium hate that. is way better though, dude. I fucking hated Mistfall. <laughs> okay, what so a... I don't know the real. See, I can't comment because I haven't listened to it yet. Wait, Entry Joey, play is good. Joey, what do you think of Equilibrium? This conversation. I, I I only heard Mistfall. I, I didn't I didn't get any further. Dude, listen to Equilibrium. It's so good. Have you heard awesome. the Entry Plague? That's oh yeah, good. that was really good too. Uh, anyway, what else, Jacob? Anything else? Um, no, I'm going to let you do the plugs for, for, for the novel adaptations. This oh, time. all right, cool. Uh, all right, so as far as uh, things coming up on this channel, uh, like I, like Brian said, uh, the Witchmark trailer just came out this past Saturday, so go check that out if you haven't already. The Love and War audiobook is uh, nearing its end. Uh, I just recorded Chapter 17 this morning, so um, that should be out in like the next day or two, or, or like after this comes out in the next day or two. Um and then I'll only have chapter 18 and the epilogue to record, so that'll be almost done, and then we can start releasing... Uh, sorry, excuse me. We can start releasing Romance of Crime uh, probably the month after, which will probably be in September. Uh, as far as... <laughs> Subscribe uh, get more at securitykitchenproductions.com and, uh, and what else? And uh, Oh yeah, adaptations. Uh, Witchmark uh, begins release... Do, uh, actually, this is uh, we could discuss this right now. Jacob, do you want to start releasing on the first or on the eighth? <laughs> first, let's do the first. first. 
Let's do the first. Fuck yeah. All right. So Witchmark begins releasing on the first of next month. So uh, that's in less than two weeks already. So that's cool. The whole story is already edited. It's two parts. And then we have a behind the scenes video coming out the week after. Um, oh, and shit. Then... I need. To oh, yeah. You, yeah. You still have to record that. Yeah. I'll get on people this week. We're, we're all um, in it. We're all in. I'm in it. Yes, everyone. Yes, I'm not Joey. I'm in it. We all. We all sort of play. Other than Joey, who's the main character, we all sort of play pretty major supporting roles in this one, which is pretty cool. This this is true. This is true. Brian and I bitch at each other through the entire thing. Also, Jacob, do you remember how like how when you were writing Witchmark, you were like, oh, Jack and David could be a gay couple, and I was like, eh, nah, why why bother changing the book like that? So Brian's performance and his care for David basically makes you guys a gay couple in the story as it is. So uh, (laughs) that's sort of how it comes across. (laughs) We've got to find David. (laughs) I was going for Susan Foreman. Did I did I succeed? You succeeded very much so. I but think you in, just gay Instead of when Susan Foreman yells grandfather, she wants to fuck grandfather instead of like you know, finding her company. So, uh, so we have that. Uh, what else? Uh, Celestial Podcast next month, we should be talking more main range. And then in September, Celestial Podcast will be discussing more uh, Virgin New Adventures. And we should be releasing a special video regarding New Adventures with myself, Jacob, and Mason. Uh, not going to say quite what it is yet because it's a really fun video idea that, uh, that I've had for a bit now. Uh, and then commentaries, commentaries. Uh, this month, hopefully I can squeeze out both the Invasion commentary and Vengeance on Varos. I'll probably only be able to do one, though, let's be honest. Um, but if not, the other one will come out next. I bet next you're on week. Vengeance on Varos. I don't know which one I'm going to record first yet, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, so we have those two coming out in the nearest future, and I guess that about does it. Uh, thank you all for coming on. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been a fun discussion about the London Underground, uh, which I'm sure Dylan will close us out Give now. Give Joey with all the likes and dick sucks. Goodbye. Yeah, like and, if sexually and, aroused. And Dylan, if you could uh, if you could close us out with some wonderful facts about the London Underground, and uh, we will end this podcast. 500 people have died by committing suicide in the underground since 1877.